False start one achieved. False start two starting now. Welcome to Out of Game, a podcast featuring unique segments and discussions about board games, card games, RPGs, gamers, and gamer culture. Please join your hosts, Ryan, Chris, and Tim, as they go out of game. Welcome to episode 53 of Out of Game. This is Ryan. This is Chris. This is Tim. And we are a podcast about board games. The air conditioner is just a little too much. Yeah, so we, we're going to turn it off, but for some reason, off doesn't mean off immediately. It means, it means off in one minute. Well, it's the, it ther- to, the thermostat has to figure out that it was shut off and then... No, it wants to use whatever cold air has been generated to just keep pushing it up. It has to wind down like a... like a uh, What are those things called? Music box? Yeah, like a music box. Yeah, yeah. It has to wind down like a music box. Wasn't that a great analogy? Music boxes are underrated. Oh, yeah? Sometimes they make me want to cry Let's hearing like- the sound. <laughs> Have you ever heard like a music with a really sad melody? Like every every music box ever yeah, made. Isn't that what they're yeah, and then there's like a picture in it, and it's it's uh-huh. like something sentimental. It, it's very moving. Yeah, what are we talking about this episode? We are going to do a listener's corner. Oh uh, yeah, answer some listener questions. We got a lot queued up, and some good ones in there. Yeah, we sure do, including a voicemail. That's right. That's right. But first, let's jump into the spawn point. Spawn point. <laughs> I got a confession to make. Uh-oh. Here we go. Been playing a little bit of uh, X-Wing 2.0. Uh-oh. Yeah. What? Yeah. Played about uh, five uh, five games of X-Wing 2.0 right now. You so. sold out? No, I'm uh, I'm playing the uh, the um, CIS for movies one through three. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm on, I'm on the uh, bad side. That's like the the robots, right? Yeah. So I got the I got the uh, drones and the. Uh, Darth Maul and General Grievous and stuff. So I'm playing but those it's guys. Two point but it's two point because those ships are pretty much two point and I didn't own them in one point So, but you hate two point well, I still ha- there's still parts of two point that really suck. Mm. Like you know, if uh, say poor Ryan here were to buy two point stuff and he would take his cards out and and try to build a fleet, uh, you can't do it because there's no point values on the cards. Then how do you build a fleet? Uh, you have to use an online builder or their. <laughs> God awful app. Mm. Yeah, that part of it's still kind of really annoying. But what that basically allows them to do is kind of not think about the ships too much and just put them out at a point value. And then they go, ah, oh, man, yeah, we kind of under point value that. They can just jack up the point values in the app. And, you know, all your fleets are now complying and the, the card's not wrong. So it's like they're kind of like get out of jail free thing. It's like just in time development. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, it sucks that your cards don't have the values. Yeah. I'd just write them out with a Sharpie. No, I wouldn't. What am I saying? Yeah, what are you doing? You're, I would never do that. You'd never desecrate your cards <laughs> that way. crazy talk. Imagine, like, a cloud-based mana system for magic cards. Yeah. Can That's you imagine like what it? it's like. Hey, I'm going to summon a Shivan Dragon. I wonder how much he costs this week. How annoying would that be? Yeah, I'm going to do... Uh, but you caved. Yeah. I didn't cave. I mean, I, I, the plan was we were going to continue playing 1.0 with our stuff. Because pretty much the, the Rebels and the Empire, they're, they're really not going to do much else with them. They're, they're kind of done. They're kind of like done yeah. factions. So all they're really doing is releasing all the ships in 2.0 so that you can get all the new wheels and all that stuff. There's a lot of good things with 2.0. The, the dials are way better because the dial now, you can see the whole face. And then you just turn it to a little arrow that points to the maneuver you're going to do. So you're not kind of like trying to spin it through a window and say, well, what can the ship do? You see all the maneuvers just by looking at it. And it. That part's really cool. There's only six levels of pilot skills. It's not as annoying as I thought it would be because they, they basically got rid of the variability there of, you know, one through ten. It's now basically one through six. Yeah, it's okay. There's, there's more wow. people going mutually and stuff like that. There's not much of a change. They've done huge improvements on secondary weapons. It's actually kind of really nice now. It's not like I, I put a, a proton torpedo on my ship and uh, I got one. It's like you put it on and there's charges on it now so you can have multiple shots with that weapon. So there's, there's some things that I really like. They have four points so you can kind of have some characters that have the force 
kind of gives them little things that they can do and stuff with points like that. So it's a little more variability there. We're, so with the force, playing. if your ship gets blown up, can you fly around like Leia? Yeah, they haven't made that one yet, but you know they haven't come out with the Leia card yet. So you never know. Maybe mm-hmm. she can burn two force and get into another ship, hijack another ship or something. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's some interesting aspects to it and stuff. So I mean, pretty much there's new factions. There's now seven factions because basically each threesome of movies is two factions. So they're doing it by those ages, and then Scum, which is weird, is the same faction across all the movies. So if you're playing Scum, you can play the same ships across all three of the different sets of movies. So that's a little weird. We're playing that set of uh, ships right now. We'll probably play a few more here. And then what we're looking forward to is they're actually going to be releasing Epic Rules, which is what me and my brother enjoy doing. So they're going to have full Epic campaigns and support that. And we'll see where that goes going forward. But looking forward to that a little bit. Honestly, we've played the Rebel Alliance and the Empire so much in the last five years that if I play the other factions, which are 2.0 factions, I'd be okay with doing that for, you know, a couple years. Wow. Yeah, I have so. a solution to the point value problem. Someone should release sleeves that have point values on them, and they could just sleeve the cards and build with the cards. We should do that. One will buy it. But then what happens when they change the point value? Just take the card out and put it in another sleeve. Oh, I see. You're saying you have like a pre-numbered... Yeah, you just have sleeves with like the yeah. numbers on them, yeah. and then you can... Well, they did make all the cards the same size. You know how they used to have the little mini cards for all the secondary things? Those are not all normal size cards. Ultra Pro, if you're listening, yeah. I yeah. want some royalties. So. Numbered sleeves. Yeah, so I'll keep you posted and see how that goes. But so far, so far I'm enjoying it, and I'm getting over some of the annoyances that it was annoying me with, but th- those things are still there. I think it was the epic Rules. Epic rules is a huge problem. They sucked you in. Epic rules is huge. And then, you know, it's new ships, right? I'm flying ships that I haven't flown before. That's making it interesting. So the fact that we're flying under 2.0 rules, base part of the game is the same. I hate the fact that I can't sit down with my cards and build a fleet, though. I have to be on an app or online in order to build a fleet. I can't just view my stuff. So my spawn point, I went on a family reunion to Florida. Uh. And there was a game that I brought that I've never actually brought to our game nights. It's a party game called Telestrations. I think this game got played maybe 20 to 30 times wow. over the course of the reunion. So we, we stayed in a giant mansion with all of my cousins and, and my aunts and uncles. Like We basically were all in the same house for a week. Do you have so like maids and servants and all kinds of stuff too? No. It's a mansion. We just took care of it. Doesn't it come with like that? <laughs> it should have. Should have. But anyways, Butler. I brought Telestrations, which if you've never played, it's like the, um, it's like the telephone game only you draw. So you start Wait, by... It's like the telephone game? Yeah. You draw. You know what the telephone game is? I have no clue what you're talking about. So is that like when you call someone and you try to keep them on the line as long as you can, pranking them, and then they finally hang up? No, only I no, used to... I did used to do that and record it, by the way. Okay. Um, but no, the telephone game is you say a phrase to someone, you whisper it to them, and then they whisper it to the person next to them, and you go around a circle, okay. and then when you get to the end, it's like completely different. Okay. Yep. Yep. So Telestrations is you... Everyone has a, like a whiteboard with like multiple pages. You you write a phrase, you hand at the person to your left they look at the phrase and they draw it on the next page then they hand the drawing to the person next to them they look at the drawing and then they write a phrase they write the phrase that they think represents the drawing so you keep alternating around the circle between drawing okay phrase drawing phrase and then there's really no point to the game it's more of like an activity but it's like the the pictures and the phrases are hilarious you just go through the book one by one and, and read all the phrases and then look at the drawings. And like people were just like dying laughing. And what, what I discovered with this game is it could be played with my four-year-old daughter and like my 70-ish uncle. Like they could play in the same game. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually really funny to have like a four-year-old because, you know, I'll t- I would just help her. So I would just help her by like reading the phrase to her and then... Uh, and then she would draw it. Or if it was the other way around, I would tell her what to draw. <laughs> and then she, and, and she would draw what I just drew what I said. And so it, and it was just really fun. So we played that game a lot and had a lot of good laughs. So Telestrations was a big hit. I recommend it for any family. Good family. I can, I can tell you Chris wouldn't like it because he can't tell if he's winning or not and getting points for his drawings and his phrases. Nah. Yeah, but I have a feeling those were like house rules. There's got to be like a scoring there system. There is a scoring system, but it's actually not fun to try to get it right. It's more fun to look at the drawing and write exactly what you see. Cause yeah, then Tim's it, right then. It makes this ridiculous <laughs> phrase. And, that's, and what's funny is reading the stuff at the end. I want to talk about one more thing. So last time, or two episodes ago... I talked about Little Sticks. So I have two more games. I'm only going to talk about one this time that I used to play as a kid that we made up. 
I thought it'd be fun to, to talk about one yeah, of them. Yeah, the hockey game. Yeah, so Little Sticks was the thing I talked about last yep, time. Yep. So another game we used to play we called Sock Wars. Okay. So Sock Wars was also in my basement, and we would set up a maze in the basement using chairs. So you like put chairs around, and you make a maze, and you put blankets over them, so you can you can crawl through the maze. Turn out all the lights in like Chris's room at night when he sleeps. You cover any digital light so it's pitch, pitch black. black. And then you take socks, like you make a ball of socks, and then we would crawl around. It was like 1v1 or like... 1v1v1 like just three of us max but you crawl around in this maze as quietly as you can and you try to like throw socks at each other so the point of it was like you had to be really really quiet in this room the goal was to get everyone out by hitting them with socks and be like the last man standing oh in other words when you get hit with the sock you're out you're out yeah but i mean so next time i'm going to talk about warm wars all right spawn point chris Spawn point yeah so we played last game night uh everdell yeah I had some thoughts about this game. So going on to be a it's a popular game, and uh, I like the game. It's a good game. It's a good game, but Uh-oh. I'm starting to develop an issue with tableau building. Yeah. Wait, wait. You're the one that like removed three things from his tableau and got to put even more in his tableau. And no, you, I you have an issue I, with that. It's it just tableau building in general. Okay. This is a very general thing. I like Everdell. Everdell's a good game, but there's something about tableau building games that's i'm consistently bothered by and that is that everybody's so detached doing their own thing sometimes i feel very disengaged like as a is a from the group game standpoint because we do have the board where you're placing and stuff yeah there is that but i have no idea what you guys are doing and i find some of the strategies interesting yeah and i like seeing the themes like heather had a really good theme going she's like taking resources and bouncing her car it's just i don't know I, i like games where everybody's sort of immersed in the common area and you can see what's going on the tableau thing is starting to i don't know i'm starting to tire of it because i don't feel i'm engaged it just it's it's um it's okay but it's consistently becoming a little less enjoyable for me i, I can see that and that's yeah, not it's... just ever i don't mean to pick on everyone yeah, it's yeah. all those games where everybody's sort of doing their own thing ice like in a, in a silo isolated from yeah, everybody yeah i don't know any way that you could I mean, it's, it's almost on you to like start looking at the other people's yeah i know but the game is and... just not meant for that yeah Right. So there are some games where you're sharing. We played a couple of those games where you're sort of, you're doing something with your partner to the left and then to the right. and then Yeah, like between two cities. Yes, where that solves the problem a little bit. Um, but there's there's still these games where it's in, you're doing your own thing. Yeah. And it doesn't involve, nobody knows what you're doing. And there's, there's no appreciation for what's happening, really, in other people's tableaus. Yeah. You know what almost would fix it would be playing it digitally. <laughs> because you could see everyone's stuff easier. Like the hard thing is seeing their stuff, right? Well, and it's I like, think part of it is he does he has no interest in really looking at your tableau because he's oh, okay. Busy yeah, the game is own. just meant for me to care only about mine. Yeah. Like I don't really care about yours. Well, you you care a little, right? Like you would try to take something that someone else could use. Not an Everdell. Well, like the, well, I mean, there, cards there in the middle. I mean, like you know, you... when when you knew that Heather got the cast lot, you know, preventing her from taking the king, yeah, is something. Yeah, but I ended up not doing that. The other games where it's like one board and everybody's you're doing yeah. everything on the board. I feel like we're more engaged. I don't know. It's fine. It's just something I noticed. Yeah, sort I, of I can, souring I can on see that. In that mechanic. I can't argue. Multiplayer solitaire. Yeah, it's like multiplayer solitaire. Yeah. Multi tear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right, on that note, <laughs> time to move on to the listener's corner. You're listening to Out of Game, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Find this and other great podcasts at Dicetowernetwork.com. So we got some questions. And we got some answers. Questions that need answering. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. And of course, we're going to start with the most recent question, which is a voicemail. Let's oh, yeah. play the voicemail. Wanted to ask you guys a question. Something I'm struggling with in my game group is I have one person who is consistently complaining about somebody messing up his plans and games when he's ahead by 40, 50 plus points. This happened this last weekend on a brand new game that I have uh, that I got, and it completely ruined the experience for me as the person who was super excited about buying this game because this person and actually another person were complaining the entire time. What do you do about a complainer? What do you guys do about somebody who complains and then ends up winning anyway? So annoying. I want to slap someone in the face. Thanks. All right. We have some experience with this. I don't know what you're talking about. So here's the thing. So he's asking a good question. 
the root of the question is, what do you do about somebody who's complaining? And to the point where for him, it's ruining the game because somebody's compl- the constant complaining is ruining the game, not just for the caller, but probably for the whole group. Now we give Tim a lot of crap for this, but you don't ruin the game. I mean, it's not to that level. So in, in his case, I think the reason we play games is what? It's to have fun, right? Yeah. And so this guy who's doing all the complaining is obviously not enjoying. There's something that he's not enjoying because he's complaining. The, the key is fun. And so if this guy's not having fun, then that's a problem. But also, if the rest of the group's not having fun because of the complaining, that's a problem. So yeah, I think you, it's got to talk it out. I think the problem more is that not necessarily the guy who's complaining is not having fun; it's that his complaining is not making it fun for everybody else. But he's complaining because he's not having fun. Also, like True. why? Why else would he complain? True. Like for example, when you're when if somebody goes after you, or if you feel like you're being ganged up on, yeah, that's not fun for you. And so that's where the root of the complaining starts. True. Uh, that's a theory right so then at that moment you're not enjoying the game and so if you're not enjoying the game that's not good either yeah so what do you do that's a tough one i mean when when i know when i get really frustrated it's not just like when you know you attack me for a turn it's like you attack me and then aras attacks me and then ryan attacks me i'm like i'm like i'm not the only one in this game that's like towards the top so that's that's a very frustrating thing so my frustration level goes up because i'm trying to play my game and then that's just diverting it and I, if it was more spread out it'd feel more equitable like i'm not just the target of everything so that's that's when my frustration but why do you end up winning up. then i don't know it's the <laughs> matrix i guess but don't you think that's probably why they're going after you because you're viewed as the it, i'm not going to win unless i take tim down first yeah but then to me that's like when everyone jumps on that venue then they're just king making to the second person right so then usually when that starts happening and i start complaining a little bit because of it then it backs off and and then you win and then you win (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's a it's so wait i have a question going back to ryan's last statement last episode a while back with gen con when you said tim won all those games yeah he was level-headed during those or was he upset um he was pretty level-headed actually because there was no one really ganging up on him and points like the two game like the two card games point salad and time chase weren't really that complex yeah you know, Tim just knew how to play them better than us. Yeah. So I kind of agree with Tim with the going after thing, because it bothers me too. The thing that bothers me is if somebody goes after me randomly, if I'm in the lead, or even if I'm having the perception of being the lead, then I kind of get it. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm winning a game a lot, then I kind of take it as a compliment. But if it's like random chance that somebody goes after me, then obviously I'm not going to like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. What is the answer for the, the what do you do? Yeah. Well, first I mean, of all, does does the guy realizes that he's complaining the whole time? Well, do you? Yeah. <laughs> Are yeah. you sure? Because sometimes I think you don't even know. No, because I, I I know I am, so I try I I try to choke it back a little bit, but then it's like when two, three, four turns in a row that it just keeps. I feel like I'm getting pummeled every turn. Then it just it gets super frustrating, yeah. and I start getting more vocal. Yeah, and I think this caller is a little different. I think it's yeah. different than what you're talking about because he says this guy's way ahead in the game. Yeah, and see, and that's part of it too. Is I don't feel he wins. Like, so there's definitely games where I don't feel like I'm in the lead. I feel like someone else is in the lead, but then I'm still I'm like the de facto high on the list winner. So then I I kind of take it just because. Well, Tim's probably going to win, so let's attack him. And in reality, Aras is winning because Aras is sitting back and you know being behind the scenes, and he's actually racking up more points than I am. And yeah. no one's seeing that, and I'm like the de facto. Yeah, but the pattern I guy. see when and I, I last game that I mentioned this when you're taking your turns quickly, I believe you're going to win the game because usually when you're taking your turns quickly, that's when you're in your zone. When you take a like just a few more extra seconds, like to a normal person turn, then I think I'm anybody's is in this game now but when you're going quick i'm thinking i if somebody doesn't take you out or do something to hold you back you're gonna win well a lot of it though too is i'm i'm not tuning out right joel's taking his turn i'm 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 thinking of what my next turn is so i'm going through three players thinking what my next turn is as long as someone doesn't do my move i know what my move is yeah so whereas i think a lot of people they wait it ends up being a turn. pretty good move though <clears throat> well because i've been thinking about it for three turns <laughs> you know i'm not just sitting back on oh it's my turn let me let me think what i'm gonna do i've already thought a couple moves yeah, that but I'm for some make. reason when we do that it doesn't the turn isn't as good <laughs> yeah yeah and you know i think what we do honestly i think we we handle this well in our group because we all kind of know that this happens with him 
women, when it starts happening, we kind of start teasing him a little about it. Yeah, yeah. And then it, it kind of lightens it, lightens the mood a bit. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, everything's fine. And then an hour later, Tim wins. <laughs> <laughs> so just do that. So maybe that's the answer. Yeah, I mean, just, just to bring it up with him. Yeah, but not like in a confrontational in a way. way. Yeah, yeah, like a lighthearted. Have fun, yeah. And unless he can't take a joke or, you know. Well, there's a whole it. different thing, too, right? And, you know, the other question is, too, does that carry over to the next game? It it's, shouldn't. It's got, it's got a flush. You know, they can't carry it over yeah. otherwise. Because there's nothing worse than, like, the whole, oh, you know, yeah, you know, Ryan, you you attacked me this game. So guess what? The rest of the night, oh, you're never going to win ever again. <laughs> and, you know, and it's just that that carries on to a next game. That's that's when it could get when really it bad. When it goes and then, out beyond the borders of the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I definitely... the. The person who's complaining needs to be aware that they're complaining, and then it'll be easier to address. But I still, it's it's the root of you know, do they feel like they're being unjustly attacked for no reason? And you know, if they're up by sixty points, then it'd be like, look, you're at a hundred points. Next closest guy's at forty. Who else are we supposed to attack? Mm-hmm. You know, so when it's that clear cut, then yeah, how could you not expect to get attacked? Yep. Yeah, I think we answered the question. Yeah, I hope so. We, we provided an thanks answer. Thanks for the call. And uh, all right, Ryan, the next question is for you. It's from Bike Freak. He would like a discussion of small independent quality publishers and the games that they make. All right. No. So name name one of your favorite games, and I'll tell you if they're a small independent quality publisher. Me? Yeah. Cyclades. Um, they are kind of small. Matigo, I think, did Cyclades. Mm-hmm. Captain Sonar. So there's one. Same company, I think. Huh. How about that? Uh, Best I might two be games wrong ever about made. that guy. <laughs> So for me, um, I think the one I wanted to highlight would be Stonemeyer Games. Stonemeyer Games did Scythe, quality game. Mm-hmm. They did Charterstone. They did a game called Viticulture that's very popular. And they have another game coming out soon called Tapestry, which I think is going to be a hit. And another game they just released semi-recently called Wingspan was a hit. So pretty much they just released hits. Uh, so they're probably the best one in my mind. Scythe is the best game ever made. Okay. Whoa, that's, that's quite like a statement. Your, yeah. It's number one game of all time. Why didn't we play it at Gen Con? It's too heavy. <laughs> you, I thought you brought it. Didn't you bring it? I did. We were going to play it on Sunday, but then uh, the whole group was together. That's so we true. Played yeah, usually, usually we have our Sundays yeah. to ourselves. And, and Dave was happened. not there. I was saving it for Sunday. Yeah. yeah, and Dave left. So, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, moving on to the next question by B. Hudson, 1972. Giving away his age. And he would be younger than me. A topic, perhaps. Well, who isn't? called Upon Further Review, where you discuss a game that you initially disliked, but at some point decided to give another try and your opinion totally changed, and now maybe you think of it as a well-thought-out game. You know, the whole change of heart thing, where your rating rises. When, when I read this question, I thought, I like this concept of playing a game, not liking it, and then it growing on you over time. But for the life of me, I couldn't think of an example of this. I've, th- I've thought of examples of the opposite, but not. Yeah, I, where I it have grows one, on. and it was with um, it was off our radar now. But Battlestar Galactica, I played that with a different group of people before we were playing it, and I hated it. I thought it was I didn't really care for it. It was not fun. And then we started playing it, and I actually started to enjoy it a lot more until the event. The event with the but big E. I, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more with our group than I did with the other group. So maybe it's. Not the game, it was the group dynamics. Ah. So that could be a big thing into enjoyment of a particular game. I could see that. You know, I feel like enough time might have passed. Whoa. Are you serious? Whoa. As you're talking about BSG, I'm thinking, you know, I'd kind of like to play that. It's been a while. This is like down in like the 50s or something for you, isn't it? Yeah. I thought you vowed you were never going to play the game. I might have. But, but when Tim was just talking about it, I was having fond memories. Yeah, interesting. It's a good game. <laughs> <laughs> what about the event? Uh, who cares? It's old news. You know, I was thinking like Dead of Winter, you know, it's a good game. But there's yeah, some things about Battlestar that are, that are better than Dead of Winter. Like? I, I don't know. The feel, like the, I like the, the voting. I like the voting with the cards. Mm-hmm. That part is pretty good. Yeah, so they kind of get the, you get the, the theme. It's very there. thematic. Although Dead of Winter is pretty thematic too, I'd yep, say. Yep. But you do feel like you're in the show. I don't know. I can't, might be ready to play that wow. again. It's out of print that? too, so it's like valuable now. Okay. And mine's signed by Corey Konetska. I'm not going to sell it though. Keep it forever. Well, let's uh, let's give it a shot. Yeah, get back on the horse. Yeah. Yeah. To bring that. Be could be fun. But what about his question? Like, have you thought of games that you initially didn't like, but then it grew on you? So <laughs> I was trying, I was in the same problem as you because my thing is. We play the game once, you hate it. We for the past four years, yeah, all I've done is play new games and if we didn't like it the first time it's like 
it's gone. Like we have plenty of other games. Right, to I, play. I got one for you. All right, that stupid racing game. Your first downforce. When, I liked though. when we played that though. Yeah. You were not liking it. No, I liked it. You guys didn't like it, and I was frustrated. Yeah. So yeah. It's, yeah so oh, so you liked it from the, the beginning. Downforce. Yeah. Okay. And you guys were railing on it. Yeah, still railing. Well, on it. I I didn't mind it. The fr- it it like slowly went down for me. But so that's not a good example. So maybe one that's growing on me a little bit might be like Camel Up. Oh really? Yeah. Like when we first played that, I thought it was like really dumb. Yeah, I'm still there. Yeah, I, I like Camel Up. It, like it gets a little better every time I play it, and people keep making me play it. So I don't know. Maybe okay. that's mine. Sometimes I have the the feelings go up and down during the game. Yeah. You know, like I hate the game, then all of a sudden I start liking it. Mm -hmm. But then I start hating it again. And it's just like a roller coaster ride within the same game. We had that happen with that one week werewolf, that one game. Like I thought that game was going to get sold and then it completely changed. Maybe that's a good example. Had a revelation. Yeah. One week werewolf. Okay. Moving on. So this question is from Air Friends. Uh, Reworking or retheming a game that you don't like into something that you would like so it's the whole re is there, are there any games you would like rebrand repurpose retheme the only the only thing that came to mind for me would be to take a pandemic legacy and use it as a decoration for the nation's landfills <laughs> or or to take the the board and put it on the urinal at my office <clears throat> it's not really re-theming we'd uh, <laughs> be re-theming the urinal ah i see i see <clears throat> but would that scare people away because you know they think they're going to catch oh, something? That would be that would be pleasure. Oh. I have a good I have a good answer. I have an answer, and I think you'll have the reverse answer for this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I don't like the theme of Century Spice Road, but I like the theme of Century Golem Edition, and I think you're the opposite. Yes. So why do you like the Century I Golem like, Edition? Because I like the fantasy theme better. It's more whimsical. I, it's it's more attractive. I don't care about the name like you do. I, I like the theme of the golems and you're like building golems. Those pictures of the golems look thematic and immersive. Yeah. Okay. Like I'm. Yeah, build, you're right. I'm using you, this gems right. to make golems. I don't agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the mechanic is great, but I don't know. I that's a, actually a really good example of one that could be rethemed. Yeah. I like the gems in the mining aspect, but not the. Those pictures of the golems aren't very immersive to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. There's, they need to be more like Dungeons and Dragons style, like art, as opposed to like more kiddish kind of art. I don't know. Maybe you're building uh, something mechanical or like something steam powered. Uh? I don't know. Something where you're looking at the picture and you're like, I'm going to buy that. Where you're looking at the golem cards, you're really looking at the number. <laughs> Right. Well, pretty much, yeah, yeah. I didn't really care about the picture. So, a controversial example would be for me the Godfather. So, right. I, you'd want to rework that to get rid of the yeah the narcotics and uh, yeah, exactly. But gone. hold on, hold on. Ah. so there's a problem with this. <laughs> okay, because in other games, you're walking, you're using a mech and tearing through somebody's fields and destroying. And murdering farmers. But I'm not stopping and selling them drugs. But you're murdering them. But drugs. Yeah. See? <laughs> See my yeah. point? What are you murdering farmers? Well, you're, you're going to battle with you're them. You're going to battle. No, you don't murder the farmers. Actually, you just send them packing. The you farmers run home. away yeah. and then you lose um, you're popularity. You're terrorizing them with a <clears throat> no, mech. You're not murdering them. You're destroying their farm and you're killing their protector. <laughs> Anyways, the you're Godfather. You're being very mean. I, it's true. You might be being mean. But I would probably buy The Godfather if it was a different theme. I just don't, I can't do the narcotics thing. And what's annoying is that's not even like, it's not even accurate, really, for the movie. Were you the one that like banged the card game or the dice game? Oh, he's the dice game. I like game. the dice game The better. dice game, yeah. okay. Because cool. aren't, aren't you like shooting people in that game with a gun? You're shooting them in both games with yeah, a gun. With a gun. Is yeah. that all right? It's like different though. How is it different? It's less serious. Bang, like bang, the bang. Godfather <laughs> is is gun, more gun, gun. like the it's, but, but it's but more the, serious. There's a there's a, a line there. It's a game. Though. You know it when you see it. Okay. All right. So I remember one one of our gaming group didn't like and bang. I think there was an alcohol card. Oh yeah. But he had no problem with the shooting somebody card. We had someone in our game group that had that problem. Yeah, there was like beer or something. Yeah, yeah. that's how you heal. Yeah. How's he because they're the anti-drinking, but not anti-shooting people in the head with a gun. Okay, well, that's... Uh, that's. <laughs> I find the hypodermic needle analogy similar. Let's worry. see what Hammerhead Eye Eagle Thirst has to say. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Next question. Perhaps you can talk about the latest trend to use apps in games and whether you think this is good or bad, like the optional use of an app like in Descent 2.0 and games that actually require the use of an app to work. And if the company stops updating or supporting the app, then the game may become unplayable. Your thoughts? So here are my thoughts. I, you know, I, I initially wanted to do like a full episode on this. I don't think it constitutes a full episode, though. I initially didn't like this, but there are some games where I love it. So s- some examples would be uh, One Night Werewolf. Imagine playing that with no app. Yeah, like I agree. Yeah. There's like no chance that would work. Uh, Chronicles of Crime, which Chris despises, but the app is like a really cool part of that game because mm-hmm. the, uh, the VR, the VR part. Yeah. And then there's some games where the app just makes, so the descent thing, descent is a game where you used to play and, and people probably still do this, but somebody is like the, the DM and they're working against all the other players. So that's fine if you're playing with your game group, but if you're playing with your kids, which I would be doing with descent, the app can run the DM part and then I can be on the, cooperating with them and helping them working together. Yeah. So working against them. Right. So I really like that they released an app for Descent to do that. So yeah, I'm I'm coming around on... I mean, I don't want every board game to have an app, but... Yeah, if every board game started doing that, it would get annoying. Yeah, it would ruin the... To me, it would ruin the whole idea of board games. Right, especially... Now, there's also a difference between if there's one person using an app, like in Witch Hunt, or even in One Night Werewolf, where it's just one smartphone running the app and narrating, versus everybody using it. And now everybody's looking at their phones, right. and not, there's no more interaction. Yeah, that that could become a problem. Yeah, so I'm 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 okay with with the apps in uh, small small doses. Yep. All right. Next question is from Art B. I would like to hear a discussion about the idea of objective measures of luck versus strategy in a game. Are there currently any schemes to quantify whether a particular game falls on a strategy versus luck continuum, and if not, why? And could should there be? If such schemes do exist, how good or useful are they? And could they be measured? Could this measure also be included on board game boxes alongside playtime, player count, and so on? I love this question. I totally understand I'm, what he's saying. I'm sure you do. Yeah. And he's 100% right. You're, this, is your, this is your ploy to get a DAR yes, setting on the game, you. isn't it? It's like he, like he wrote this question yes, for Chris. Yeah. Th- this is my um, brother from another mother. RB. RB. You're speaking my language. So I believe there must be some luck in a game, right? But it should be mitigated to the point that it's not the driving force behind whether you win or lose. So if you take like the card game War is the ultimate game of luck. And then like Robo Rally and like the other games that are luck based and then so on, so on. And then you get to the other end of the spectrum where I guess like chess, where there's no dice, there's no card that's, you know, if you concentrate, you know, it's your wit against the other guy, whatever. So there's a spectrum there. And I would love if on a box you would have minimum age... 12 players, four to six, and the DAR rating of seven. And the DAR is decisions affect results. So it's not really about luck. It's about the opposite. You're rating how much decision-making is there in the game in terms of the affecting the results of so the game. So is it the higher number, yeah. the more decisions actually affect Right, like chess would be so a 10 and okay. war would be a zero. Gotcha. They could just, there could be a spectrum of luck versus strategy, though, couldn't it? Can it yeah, be of course luck, it's on, a luck as a zero and strategy as a 10? There could, but it's really, I think his question, people like to talk about luck and randomness, but it's really not about that as much as it's about how much DAR is there. Because I think you tend to look at the luck as the culprit, but really that's not the culprit. The culprit is what's missing. And that's the, why are decisions that I'm making? Like in, for example, Alien Frontiers is a good example because you're rolling a lot of dice. So there, that you immediately think there's a lot of luck, but there's a lot of decisions that you're making yeah. with those dice, and you're never really out of things to do with them. So I would assert that even though there's a lot of dice rolling, it's really not a typical dice game in the sense right. that yeah. it would have a higher DAR rating than a lot of non-dice games. Yep. So I don't know that, I mean, the way it's worded is about luck, but I don't think luck should be something on the box. I think it should be DAR. That, that is more meaningful to the consumer because some people you know it's okay to have games that are more luck especially with kids and stuff but i mean how how do you not get a subjective dar rating because it's you know well same thing with age age thing appropriate you could have a 12 year old that's very mature and could play godfather with the needles and everything and then you could have some 13 year olds that might have a problem with it so it's everything is subjective. Yeah, it's true. So I wonder, like on BGG, they, they have a stat called weight, and it's all voted on by you know members on BGG. 
I wonder if that kind of equates to Dar. What's weight? It's like the weight of the game. So the more complex it no, is. I don't think so because a game can be complex but still have a luck component to it because you're rolling dice for key things. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because sometimes the randomness within a game mm-hmm. is very minor, but it minor meaning it doesn't happen a lot, but it has a huge effect huge. on the game. Yeah. But I feel like on BGG, though, that this is really what it means. Like how heavy strategically is the game? Could be. Which is like, it's like the opposite of having a luck rate. Yeah, like Colt Express would be a very right. low weight. Yeah, and game. if you went out and looked at it, it would be low. But I think you can have heavy games that are luck based, and vice versa. You can have simple games that are not. I, I think so too, but I don't think that's what that stat represents on BGG. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it's, it is really more about it being more strategic or not. Like that's what people. But on when, that you hear site, the word, when you hear the word heavy, you don't think not luck based. You think. You think complex. Yeah, you think long play time, complex, big strategies, doesn't necessarily... It doesn't have anything to do with luck. Yeah. We'd have to think of a game that has really really complex rules and look it up on there and see what the weight is. If it's like a luck-based game that has, that has complex rules and see there's, if it has a high weight. There's some out there. Where, where would, you, where would you rate like an Illuminati? I would put that at like a two. Five two to three would be a heavy game that's, that's very... It goes one to... The weight is like one to five, I think. Okay. So I, if I remember right. Uh, five tribes is a heavy game that's very lucky. See, that wouldn't get a heavy weight, though. Yeah. I don't think. Because the, the complexity of the of the game isn't very okay. high. Anyway, it's an interesting thing to, yeah. to try to look into. Yeah, you it's know, not on the box, yeah. though, that, either that, way. That's your next career. You're going to become the dar labeler for all games. <laughs> yeah. You're going <laughs> to insert this into all games. And again... There's nothing wrong with luck. Nope. Luck-based games can be fun, especially with your family and you know, you're playing with your kids. There's not a lot of strategy in Uno, but you could have fun if your kids are having fun with yep. it. Lots of fun. Though. Okay. Next question is by Caesar234, I think. How about a topic on how to teach games to people as opposed to animals? I think I am not very good at teaching games, although I'm good at learning them. <laughs> and I know I could use some tips. <laughs> That's a funny question. I'm not good at teaching games, but I'm good at learning them. Well, I, you know, this is, we talked about this a little bit last episode when we brought up Nathan. So we have somebody in our group who's, he's the best at teaching games. I mean, it's to the point that I would pay him to do it. He's that good at teaching games. And I've watched him do this. Even last game night, I I was watching him as he was teaching uh, the game with the swatches. What's that game called? Pelotone? Pelotone. Pantone? Pantone. Pantone. Yeah. Yeah, Pantene. (laughs) Pantene Pro V. And and there's a patience where he's just, he's he's very patient with, he knows his group, but he also is very fast at explaining it. Mm -hmm. And he keeps it going. Keep... He's keeping your attention. Yeah. So he doesn't do long pauses. He doesn't stop to clear his throat or take a drink. He makes his audience important. So that would be one tip. Move it right along would be another tip. Don't like pause and don't like go to the rule book to look something that, up. That's the most important thing. You need, you need to, to know, know the it. game so well that you do not have to consult the rule book in order to do right because you're going to lose your audience. Yeah. Then. Now the thing about giving them a rolled up newspaper, I, I like that idea. I want to try think that. I want to see what happens. You have to respect the person, even if I'm checking out somebody explaining a game. I f- can fool them into thinking I'm not checked out because I think you you have to respect that they're going out of their way to teach you, and you can't just start like like talking over them or engaging somebody in conversation you know you have to let them do let them teach and so it works both ways but yeah i think like tim said knowing the game that's 100 percent key you you have to know it backwards and forwards you know not even if this is something that you're really interested in teaching someone go watch youtubes watch other people explain it know the rules inside and out and then you know you should be able to explain the game quickly if you're very familiar with the rules and if something gets complex you can always pause and say look there's this part of the game there's this facet of the game it happens like in the second or third round. We'll talk about that when we get to the second or third round. Yeah, and and also Nathan doesn't allow people to derail his momentum. Yeah. So if he's teaching and somebody interrupts with the questions, up, oh, and then he'll we'll get to that later and he'll just move on. Yeah. So you don't allow that. Just teach the game and just make your audience just sort of stay with it, stay with your topic. So I suspect that this person writing this question may have an impatient group of uh, gamers that is he's make, it's making him feel like he's not doing a good job at teaching the games. So because our game group on Wednesday is completely different from our from my group on Saturday where you could actually sit down and go through the rule book like 
and, they, and no one would care. It's like a completely different experience. There's different game groups types. I actually, I'll tell you what I think the difference is, is the amount of time. When I have a game day on a Saturday, we have the entire day. So there's not this urgency to like get the game started because on our game nights, we only have a few hours and we usually only get one like heavier game in the whole night. So I really think that's the key difference. So if you feel like you have unlimited time, it's not as like even at Gen Con, it, I don't think it's as big of a deal when we're learning newer games because we have so much time. Like Here's why I don't agree. Okay. Because when Nathan does it, it doesn't seem to be a problem. Yeah. So that shows you there is a way to do it where you're hold, you're able to hold their attention and get it done. Now, granted, he is sort of like in the elite level of teaching games, but it sort of proves that even with a tough crowd, so to speak, because I, I agree with you, our game group is probably more on the tough crowd side than your Saturday group, but it still can be done. Yeah, it can be done by an expert. Yeah, I, I don't have the patience. Like I, there was, I can't remember what exactly happened. There was one game where I was teaching something, and Tim started saying something, and I like told you to shut up or something. Yeah. I like cut you off, and I'm like, Bleh. and then I mean, I mean, I caught myself immediately and apologized. But I was like, that's my mindset. I just get so impatient when I'm teaching. Well, I think part of that too is the other two people were like not even paying attention to you and I was the only one paying attention. Yeah. So I wanted to ask a question and you're getting frustrated because the other two are just kind of like looking at the ceiling. and kind Which of is like, almost every time I teach a game. be over? Yeah. Tim is the best listener. Sarah is really good too. Yeah. Sarah will actually like, like she'll actually comment when other people aren't paying attention. She'll like try to help me. Yeah. yeah. So That's I appreciate true. that. Yeah. And I disagree that about Imad. I think Imad's actually a good listener and he's a good teacher. Moving on, uh, Kevin Chavez. I'm super new to board gaming, and I always struggle with A, what game should I get? B, getting my friends into board gaming, and C, where to find a gaming community. We get this one a lot. Uh, this is a good one for Ryan. Yeah, so what game should I get? There's a lot of lists out there, actually. The Dice Tower has probably made three or four versions of it at this point. Games to buy if you're a new gamer, or what are the essential games to own? So I would start there. Another suggestion I would make is going to Board Game Geek and just sorting the games by rank and just start at the top and go down the list until you find one that sounds interesting and buy it. That's basically what I did. Yeah, you got to take, you know, if you've got certain people in mind too, you got to take their tastes in mind. Now right? when you're, like if you're brand new though, you have Yeah, to, but it sounds like he's trying to pick games like that he all can play with time. his friends. Yeah, yeah that's a good he's point. He's got a set of friends he's trying to pick games for, so you kind of have to... But most, if they're all new to gaming too, then yeah. I think the first suggestion of just looking at top 10 essential games or oh, something yeah. like that, any of those games are probably going to be fine with any new gamer. So start with those and you'll be good. Um, what else did you say? Uh, where to find a gaming community? I, my, my thing on this has always been to build one. So I think just focus on your friends that have an interest in gaming and your gaming community will build around that. I, I mean, if you really just cannot get anybody into it, there's plenty of ways to find other gamers. Um, Facebook, there's Facebook groups. I don't know if, is Meetup still a thing? You could go to your game store. Most game stores have a weekly board game night. So I know I have friends who do that. Um, so that's probably your best bet if you really just can't get your friends into it. But I, I think it's better to try to get your friends into it personally, like I did. Yeah. Yes, you did. You're an evangelist. <laughs> and there's another Ryan question from Malachi. How do you get people into the hobby and get them playing more advanced games? And how to deal with the ever-growing collection and lack of room? Oh, Ryan's got that problem. Uh, Big you've time. come to the right place. Okay. And board game organization, both do-it-yourself and organizers you can buy online. This is like this is like your sweet spot. Yeah. I'm not going to go into the level of detail I did oh, before yeah. on this one. Um, playing more advanced games. So you take that group that you've been introducing the, you know, the beginner games to, you don't jump into the heavier, the heaviest game right away. You, you go to a mid midway game, get them used to midway games, and then you graduate to advanced games. So you have well, to progressively you, get you, them there. You could look for a game too, that has advanced rules and you play like just the basic game. Mm -hmm. So they kind of get used to that and then introduce the advanced rules. Yeah. And then when they start mastering that, then, you, you know, then you can go into a more advanced game even after that. Because there is some benefit to playing a game and you knowing it and then adding more rules to it. Yeah. Another thing you could do is focus on certain mechanics. So let's say you want them to understand worker placement. So you buy something like Lords of Waterdeep or an entry-level worker placement game, get them used to worker placement, and then you can play a heavier worker placement game like Caverna. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend I was that. waiting for Chris to... <laughs> I think Kalos is a good gateway yeah. game to the advanced level. Yeah. and it, it, Because it's not super complicated but it does get them get used to the mechanic and the theme is kind of kind of fun yeah 
And complicated doesn't have to mean complicated rules. Like Kalis, I, I would say, does have some complexity of the rules, but mm-hmm. a lot of the older classic Euro games, the, the rules weren't that complicated, but they're still heavier advanced games. If you And that's really the sweet spot. You don't want to try to teach a million rules to somebody and then yeah. play like a i don't really even like games with like tons of rules like that anymore so like you can Caverna. actually you know the rules aren't that complicated in that game mm-hmm. it was just the rule book was, was hard to in read 45 minutes setup. yeah that, that well, came down to the watching those youtubes and knowing the game backwards and forwards yeah before trying to teach it yeah, you know, yeah big, the youtube's in a big hall set the game up faster though yeah yeah the setup time is pretty long in that one um, how to deal with a ever-growing collection and lack of room? Want a don't be married. That helps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my rule at my house is I could I could have a wall of shelves and my game collection can't extend past those shelves. So I can do whatever I want to make them fit on those shelves. Uh, but once space runs out, if a new game comes in, a new game has to go out. I would adopt a rule like that. Otherwise, you're just going to keep building shelves, and next thing you know, your whole house is just going to be walled with board games. And that would probably happen to me if I didn't have this rule. Not to mention, there's no way I could ever play every game on my shelf. Even if I played a game a day, there wouldn't be enough days in a year to play all of my games in a year. So, I mean, I have the amount of games you have, you're never going to be able to play them all uh, once you get to a certain number. And another thing, when you're selling games, don't think you're going to get all your money back. You have to, you have to accept the fact that you're going to lose money on this deal. It's it's like a brand new car. As soon as you drive it off the lot, as soon as you crack that cellophane and open that box lid, it's lost half its value. It is, and it is really half the value. Like, if you have a used game, even a new game that you're trying to resell, people expect to buy it at at least 60, 40% off. So 60%, right? Um, And if it's used, it's 50% or less you're going to get back. Okay. This one's from Larry Folan. How about a segment on good games with bad rule books? (laughs) Caverna, <laughs> we just I just mentioned one. No, that's not a good game. I think I think a good example of this is Celestium. Celestium's a good game, but Celestium. without you mean, y- Celestia? you mean Celestia? You said Celestium. Celestium is the sequel to the game. <laughs> oh, is that, okay, yeah, okay. Is that, I, so like when because you're, uh, Chip made those cheat the, cards, yeah, yeah, and and it makes the game a thousand times better. Is that the those. rules though? Or is that just the components? No, the rule book is kind of yeah. The rule book is lame. I've never actually read the too. rule book. So. It, it's, I don't know. It's hard to figure out the meaning of what the cards are, the way they're labeled in the rule book. The way Chip has it laid out on his laminated cards are super easy to use. And I like the game a thousand times better to the point that I almost don't even want to play the game without those. Like I wouldn't buy the game without having those. Yeah. You know, the one, the one game that I experienced that in was uh, Imperial Assault. Oh. I was I was reading the rule books. It was very hard to understand some of the mechanics of how the things work together. I, I I had to watch YouTube's and watch people playing the game. To go, oh, that's what they meant. Have you even played that game? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> was that your news resolution in like 2017? Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got really close a couple times, and then my brother would cancel at the last minute. Your magic number is higher than mine, Tim. Probably, yeah. Now it is. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Can you think of examples of good games, but the rule book is subpar? I've read a lot of rule books. Usually I give up. So this is what happened. If the rule book is bad now, I just give up on the game. Like, I can't force myself to read it. That's what happened when I was doing my Magic Number games. Like, that game might have been good, but the rule book was just not written well, and it was all convoluted, and I was just like, forget it. It's yeah, not this, worth the effort. I go to the YouTubes. I'd rather sit down and watch a 20-minute video of someone actually laying it out and playing it because yeah. that's all visual and everything like that. And then I use the rule book as a... Uh, that's actually a, a really good point. If you watch a video, if, you can't, if you're not getting a rule book and you watch a video, even if the video doesn't cover every rule, it gives you the gist of the game. And they've these reviewers have worked through the rule book. They've called the publisher in some cases to make sure they're doing something right. They've played the game multiple times. So you can just kind of get the concept from them. And then when you try to read it, it will probably make more sense. Yeah. Well, so you guys are both visual learners, I'm assuming. Yes. I, I actually prefer to learn it from reading the rules. But if it's bad, I'll watch a video. If like, the yeah. looks bad. Even all through school. Teacher Visual. writing on the blackboard versus having to read it out of the book. Teacher on the blackboard. 
hundred percent. Yeah. So you, for a visual learner, I think YouTube's work. I'm not a visual learner, yeah. so I can't watch them. But I think they are helpful if you are that type. That's also why you're good at paying attention when people are explaining roles. Yeah. You know what I'm bad at is um, learning. I don't know. Is it just it's called audio learning? I'm bad at just learning from listening. Mm-hmm. And like if you and like if someone reads something to me, like reading comprehension, I have a much harder time comprehending it when I'm listening. That's versus, not comprehension, though. So that's like the aud- auditory learner. Yeah, whatever you call I mean, it. Auditory learners are good note takers. So they'll listen to the lecture and take really good notes. Those are the auditory learners. And then visual learners like Tim. Um, I'm unfortunately neither of those. <laughs> <laughs> so neither works for me. But yeah, I think that YouTubes are clearly helpful for some people. Yeah, yeah most definitely. So that's interesting. So YouTube actually wouldn't help you. No, I can't. I've tried. I can't watch them. So if you're, you you would just struggle through the rule book rather than... No, I can't do that either. Yeah. I So my learning type is the kinesthetic, which is the rare one where you have to just have hands-on. Like I just need... So when you're sometimes explaining the game... Or or if somebody and sometimes I, I may be checking out, I just need to play it. I don't even care if I do bad. I, I'm literally not learning how to play the game by listening. I need to start the game and get my hands on it. So it would help you if we did like an example and had you move the pieces. Um, that would be better. But the best thing is to play the game. Just play. And it. Just let me stumble through it. Okay. And I'll just pick it up. I'll pick it up quickly at that point because I'm not really getting it from the rule. Oh, I just thought of one through the ages. So I don't think you guys, either of you have played this, but I can't even had the, oh, I just thought of a, another one too. But Through the Ages would be a good example of a game with a bad, badly written rule book. And some people actually like this rule book. They say it's like funny, but I just, mm. I could not learn the game from this rule book. It was impossible. And another one, I actually don't know if it's a good game, but War of the Ring rule book was so hard that I just gave up on it. And I just kept the game because it was a Lord of the Rings game. And I know I'm never going to play it. <laughs> Why would you keep the game then? Because <laughs> it was cool, like, theme. Hmm. So I just keep it on the shelf just to have it. There's probably other good Lord of the Rings games out there. You uh, that's absolutely so. healthy. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being a collector. Okay, next question is from Joshua G. I would like to hear about your top five or so essential games. Games you think every gamer should have. So this isn't like the top five of all time. This is the essential list. All right, I'm going to, why don't we each name one? I think Century has to be in there. Yeah. Because it's it's multifaceted. You could play with any group. Yeah. I'm going to throw the ham sandwich, King of Tokyo. King of Tokyo is a good one. I'd say um, Ticket to Ride. I've never played that game. Really? Yeah. Interesting. That's. I think that's an essential. It's one of my go-to uh, games to teach. Yeah. What else? I would probably say Lords of Waterdeep. Whoa. Yeah. I think that game. Almost anyone could could learn that game, and it's it's a good uh, worker placement. Rules aren't hard. It's a popular game. I would go so far. I don't know if this might be risky, but Lord uh, Dead of Win- Dead of Winter. For that genre of like all the trader yes. board games. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Overshadows. Yes. Yeah. I would, I would take that order over shadows. Huh. I have a hard I have a hard time between those two. I like them both. So uh, maybe I'm just a little biased on that. Dead of Winter doesn't have the AP problem that Camelot has. But the Camelot theme is good. So in that sense, like more people might like that. Some people might not like zombies. Yeah. yeah. What else? Top five essential games. Would you put Settlers of Catan in this list? Um, I don't think I would at this point. Yeah. It is a good it is a good game. It's a, it's a good gateway game for sure. Yeah. Like the tra- there's a lot of interaction. Your turn you're always involved. Every turn you're involved. The trading is is fun. I think the trading can get annoying though cuz almost every turn someone's asking to trade and after a while it's just like you just want to move on to the next person's turn. Yeah. But I don't know. I it's an okay game, but I don't think I would say it's essential. Well, we need a couple more for the top 5. So we've had 5 so far. Oh, we did? Yeah. So King of Tokyo, Century, Ticket to Lords Ride. of Waterdeep, Ticket to Ride, what else? Dead of Winter. Dead of Winter, okay. That's a good That's list. A good list. That, that kind of goes across the most of the different types of genres. What's yeah. a, what about a card game? Or okay. a party game. Yeah, let's get a party game party and a card game. Like to crypto? Are, too, are you guys tired of it? it's too complicated. One Night Werewolf. Mm. I know that's a party game. It is. I, I would, uh, I don't know. I don't think, I wouldn't call that a party game. What is it then? I'd probably more go to like Spyfall. For like a party game, but I, I would think of a, which one's essential. I would say One Night Werewolf is more essential. That's only than because our group is insane in love with that. <laughs> I don't think it's just our group. That game, like, it's pretty popular. Yeah, yeah, possible. So if that's not a party game, what what would be? I would say Decrypto. I would play Decrypto over Spyfall. Me too. I play over Spyfall. I just feel like the, that's one of those games that's kind of confusing. That actually is an, probably an example of a game that the rulebook wasn't written well. <laughs> 
but it ends up being a good game once you figure it out. Mm, it's a good question. Okay, moving on. Adam Terrible. I've always wondered if games with too much theme actually push people away from board games. Most popular and classic board games are relatively dry and abstract. This is a really interesting question or, you know, point that he's making. I, um, I would say this is totally true because when I saw Jaws, I had zero interest. Exactly. Zero because of the intellectual property. I'm like, okay, they're just doing a stupid game off of a movie made in the 70s. But what, and, if, the, what if it was called Shark Attack instead? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't know. Okay. But sometimes the best games are not the best looking games. Right. Like... Like Captain Sonar is not, it's probably, it's arguably one of the two best games ever made. But it has a good theme though. So here's my thought on why classic games, like the the popular classic games are dry because they didn't realize apparently back then that you could make games with better themes. So they had all these. So you're disputing the premise. I am a little bit. I, I think, you know, it's just because that was all that was around back then and these games were good, but they all had these dry themes and now they're kind of all getting replaced with games that have more interesting themes. So I think it's just because that's what was around. That's why the classic games are dry. Probably. I think they're just, they weren't thinking of that either. You know, zombies and stuff like that was, they're yeah. thinking more family oriented. You're going to play this with your kids and stuff like that. So, you know, doing zombies and all that kind of stuff would be kind of taboo. Right. And that's actually a good point. So like in Germany, which where most of these games, this is kind of where the hobby originated. They sell like these strategy board games in like the mall, like not at the mall in a game store, like in the mall in a department store. Hmm. So when I went to Germany, I went to the mall and I was in like the equivalent to famous bar and they had like strategy board games for sale in there. Hmm. It's more adopted culturally to buy board games. And so, yeah, they have to be more family friendly, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's why. Next one is Grit Hog. I'd like to hear what you guys think about the board game media reviewers, journalists, entertainment shows, etc. How they'll evolve over the next five to ten years. And what would you want to see happen? Another good Ryan question. <laughs> Why do I always get these hard questions? Technically, we're part of the media. Yeah, we are. Um, So I guess board game media started with somebody standing in front of a wall of board games and reviewing a game. I feel like it's starting to mature into like if you if you look at like um like Man vs. Meeple as an example, they're like popular reviewers. They built a set in their basement. It looks like a like a newsroom. <laughs> it's like really nice looking. They have these like comfortable chairs. It's not an, it, no, it looks more like a like a night show set. Something like that. Mm. Where they have like these comfy chairs and like this really nice background and like it's just done really well instead of just standing in front of the, a wall of board games. And then like Rodney Smith, who does the Watch It Played videos, did a similar thing where he built like a really nice set. So I think what I'm seeing is they're becoming more professional. And I think that's where it's headed. And the more professional ones now, you know, they're the ones that the the publishers want to be reviewing their games. They're starting to like all of them are starting to create like their own insignia like a stamp of approval or whatever to put on a game. And that's becoming something to look for when you're buying games now. Like what did these certain reviewers say? Like, it's like kind of like what did Siskel and Ebert say, but now it's what do the board game reviewers say? So yeah, I think getting more professional, better equipment. And I, and I, I kind of like that trend of it just not being like any, any old person standing in front of a wall of games could be a reviewer, like putting more time and effort into it. And, and some of the reviewers are doing it full time now. So that's another change. Like they're actually doing it for a living, which is was I think five years ago would have been hard to believe that that would be even possible. Next question is the Rose Dower. Uh, what kinds of things do you wish publishers and designers would just get through their thick skulls? <laughs> I.e., please have your insert fit sleeved cards. Yeah, that's a big one for me. You know, a good chunk of the population sleeves their cards to protect it. So when you have an insert that's meant to hold cards, make it a little bigger than the card so it'll actually hold a sleeved card. Is this really that hard of a thing to do? I mean, annoying. I, I, <laughs> that's I'm, funny because when I read that, I, would, I don't even care. Oh, it, uh, but you know, you, you know, they're designing, they're trying to make these inserts in a way that will organize and hold all the things appropriately. And then they do something as stupid as not make that space just, you know, a millimeter bigger to hold a sleeve card. Yeah. So I would say don't 
make games in a tin. That would that would be something. Yeah, that really annoys you, I bet. Yeah, you like the boxes. You like the square boxes. Yeah, the tins don't no, stack well. No rectangular boxes. They don't stay shut. They gotta be square. The square boxes are nice. Don't make a box that's too big for a Calyx, an IKEA Calyx. That should be the okay. standard size. Like if you go over the size of a Calyx, then Man, Fireball Island must take you off. No, too. it fits. It fits. Oh really? If you put, put it, it sideways. But it's, but it's rectangular. It sticks out. Well, you put it you put it long ways in. Uh, it's it still sticks out a little bit. At least it fits okay, in there. Okay. Like Mechs versus Minion didn't even fit. Yeah. Well, and make make a decent box. Oh, the, I finally remembered to talk about this. So my friend Jason dubbed a term called the Calaxion. So a, mm. a Calaxion is a is one of the cubes in a Calyx. So it's like how many Calaxions large is your Calyx? And when you like remove games, it's like how many Calaxions did you free up? It's denoted by a KX. So I just wanted to. I've been forgetting to mention this for like a year since <laughs> we talk about this all the time in our chat group. So it, a game shouldn't take up more than like half a Calaxion. If it's bigger than that, it's too big. And it, and it has to fit inside. So that would be something publishers need to figure out. Yeah, yeah. What are some other things publishers need to get, get through their skulls? I really didn't have a strong opinion on this one. Decent art. You know, none of this like food chain magnet, disgusting looking game. You know, yeah. actually put some time into the stuff. No paper money. I would say that's something some publishers need to figure out. Yeah. Unless what the, game I mean, still uses paper money? There's still games that have paper money. Huh? Yeah, it's surprising. No cubes? Freedom and Freeze is one. Stop doing cubes. Give me, yeah. give me something that looks like a log, not a brown cube. Exactly. We're, like, we're past, we're past brown cubes. Shape it like yeah, something. Shape it. Everdell has good, yes. good uh, uh, units. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> Abstracts. How thin must a theme be for a game to be abstract? Why don't they get more love in the gaming community? What modern abstracts have the greatest chance of being timeless? Are abstracts necessarily more AP prone than other games? What are people's favorite abstracts? Ryan. It's a lot of questions. It's a lot of abstracts. Uh, it's a very abstract question. How thin must a game... I like this first question. How thin must a theme be for a game to be abstract? Two millimeters? So, like, for example, Photosynthesis yeah. or Bosk, even. Yeah. They're both tree games. Would you consider those abstract games? Well, let's define the word abstract. Yeah. Abstract games are, like, games that have no theme. Well, so There's definitely a theme there, right? You yeah, got trees. There's a but theme. but the game is like really mechanic. So like chess would be an abstract game, right? But like your point is that uh, photosynthesis is just that's a wrapper around a yeah. It feels like it, but then the theme makes sense though. Like you're chopping, you're growing right. the trees and you're chopping them down. But it feels like an abstract game. Like the mechanics feel like an abstract game. So it's like what's the what's the line there? I feel like that game is right on the on the line. Anything anything that's less thematic than photosynthesis is an abstract game. That's my rule. And what are some examples? Like how about like Azul? You're just tile. It's abstract. You're just doing tile stuff. Yeah. And reef, I think. Well, reef, reef is, is you, know, you got some, you know, you're building a reef, you're growing reefs, you're growing coral. There's I like that, though. It's like, theme it's made me enjoy abstract games more that they try to put some kind of theme on it. Yeah. You know, like there's some abstract games like Go, where there's just no theme at all. It's just pieces and, and rules. What Dragon Castle? That's that's abstract. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like really abstract. I don't even know what the theme is in that game. Right. I guess you're building towers or something. Yeah, you're building towers, yeah. Photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. Is the benchmark. Yeah. It's the benchmark. Okay, we feel like we got a good answer there. Are they more AP prone? Oh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't think so. I would say no. Yeah, because I think the rules are pretty simple. There's, it's not like you're getting caught up in a theme. You just you do X to get Y. Some of them Seems. are though. Like, isn't chess super AP prone? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah. The, I mean, I don't know. Chess is the really good example. I got to think 37 turns ahead. So I don't want to get another email. We shouldn't talk about chess. I think we'll do one more. One more okay, question. One more question. question. All right, J N Benson. Old gaming memories. Did you play a board game as a chill as a child? What did you play? Any stories about favorite games or memorable gaming? experiences if you didn't play as children when did you start or did you used to play stop and then got back into it and why so old gaming memories i really didn't get into this hobby until much later i mean you know the typical monopoly risk and stuff but nothing like this i mean this is all new yeah see i had i had tons carrier strike tank battle titanic stop thief jaws i mean I, all kinds all kinds and that was more just my dad bringing home games and we enjoyed playing we still played life and monopoly 
Monopoly and Mealborn and stuff like that. But he also got those other ones that were kind of more themed and stuff. So we used to play those all the time and then stopped, definitely stopped and didn't get back into it until Ryan kind of pulled us back into yeah. it. Yeah, I played a lot of um, Monopoly, Risk. I think some of my best memories that were Risk with my friends when I was young. Mine too. Because we played like all night and it was just hilarious to see someone about to win and then you get the match and you yeah. just wipe out and decimate their entire army. And then, you know, at, back then you didn't care that that was happening over and over again. Right. That was actually what was fun about it. Yeah, I, I have really good memories. Very similar to Risk, especially. And then there was another game, Supremacy, which I think I told you guys about. Ah, we I think it's in your Hall of Fame. Yeah, it is. Uh, all right. Well, great questions. Thanks, everyone, for sending them in. Remember, if you send in a question, we will read it first. Last in. First out. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Good night. Good night. Visit us on our website at outofgamepodcast.com. Join our BGG Guild 1990. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Stitcher at OOG Podcast. Send us an email at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 40OOG80. For great games and amazing prices, shop at coolstuffinc.com. For more great podcasts of the Dice Tower Network, Go to Dicetowernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Good night. <clears throat> are the uh, symbols jacked up? Yep, the hieroglyphics are ready to go. All right. It says we're recording. All systems are go then. Yep. Bam. Ready to answer. Should we right. start over? Let's start over. Pause. <laughs> had a horrible frog in my throat. Frog. Done. Done. Is it a gecko? I'm done frogging. Oh, it might have been. a gecko. can't see you. I'm like. Do you know what that means? No. Oh. You don't know what that means. Wow, you're not caught up at all. No. It's not a gecko. Oh, man. You'll find out. We're all staring at Ryan while he yeah. checks his phone. And he's doing some swiping. He's five minutes out. You just got that? He's looking at his I was five minutes out like three hours ago. All right, I'm good. It's on, <clears throat> it's on silent now. Wow. You send in a question. We will read it first. Last in. First out. <coughs> oh, pardon me.